If you love Jesus this morning, say amen. I uh, want to give you a little bit of an explanation before I have you stand. Um, we, we were moving prophetically right there. That was not, that was a brand new song, what Abby was just creating on the spot. Uh, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms are the very middle of the Bible. If you put your Bible up on the spine and let it fall open, or just put your fingers what you judge to be the middle of the book, it's going to fall open to psalms. The worship is the very heart of the Bible. So psalms are when we set the words of David, Asaph, Ethan, Jeduthun to music. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Hymns, we know those. Those are great testimonies of the power and the presence of God, of what God has done. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That is a hymn, Greek word, humneo. It is a testimony set to song. In the vast majority, in 99.9% .9 of the churches in America, the last one, Spiritual songs is never practiced because most places do not give an opportunity for the flowing of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I don't want to present any kind of an idea that we think we're any better than anybody else. We're certainly not. But we want this atmosphere to be accepting and expecting and anticipating the Spirit of God to move and flow through the giftings which He has given to various people. Spiritual songs, the Greek word ode pneumaticos. Ode is like a poem. Pneumaticos, pneuma, the Greek word for spirit. If you guys in the room who work in uh, mechanics or in, in the shop or, or in tools, a pneumatic tool is something that is driven by air. And so ode pneumaticos it's, and the word pneuma means wind, breath, or spirit. So it's, that's why we translate it spiritual song. It is something that is on the breath of the wind of God. It is being created on the spot. Mold me, make me. And you know, I, and I, I, I sensed it. I felt her move right into that. And it's a whole different kind of flow. And I just felt it in the spirit. And so, boom, I heard her sing the first time. And then I started jumping in harmony. And Scott's flowing in with us. I just wanted to use this as a teaching moment because that just kind of electrified me to help you understand that there may be things that you might not have ever experienced in church before and I want to give you a biblical foundation for why that just happened. It was Abby's prayer and it would be what the Bible calls a song of praise. Okay? And it was something that she was writing on the spot. And this is very biblical because it says over and over and over in the book of Psalms, singing of the Lord a new song. Well, guess what? A new song is one that has never been sung before. It's one that's never been written before. It's being created on the spot with the presence, the aid of the presence of God, the Spirit of God, but through the spirit of that individual person who is singing it, writing it. Mold me, make me, make me what you want me to be. And then, then, then she flowed into it, a little bit of a kind of a rhyme, which is her craft. So hold me, take me, show me what you want me to be, which was just a little bit of a worship there. That, I just want you to know, for those of you who might not have ever experienced that before, that was a song of the Spirit. It was being written right there on that spot. Um, that's precious. 
to be in a place. Now, whether we flow in that in the next service or not, I don't know. Sometimes second service gets that kind of stuff. Sometimes first does. And it, it can be a great spark for creativity. Uh, I want to tell you that God can do the same thing with you in your profession, in your skill set, in your gifting, that what we see up here. And really, it's not about coming up here on Sunday morning. This is just the place where we all get encouraged to go do what you just saw happen by the Spirit in her in your own life, in your own gifting through the week because God can speak to you. The Bible says that wisdom will create witty inventions. It will give you fresh ideas on how to get a hold of a student in the classroom that's difficult to reach and God can give you wisdom. How to, how to change that business deal so that it's a win-win situation for everybody. How to pray and get the wisdom of the Lord on how to deal with a difficult circumstance in your job, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your life. Come on, how many of you need some of that? I need a dose of that. I need a, I need a touch this morning. I just want to tell you, please pray for me. I probably will do most of what I'm going to do from here today because I, I pulled my back this week and went to the chiropractor and, and got twisted into a pretzel. And... Uh, it's still, it's kind of flaring up again. So please, please pray for me. Uh, I'm going to let you just stay seated. Since I'm sitting down, let's just read our one text from Mark chapter 10. You know it by now, and we do it for that reason, so that we can grasp what the Lord is saying in this gospel. Let's read together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence that is in this place. Not because this room is any different than any other, but your presence is here because you walked in inside of each of us. We are the house of God. Even as we began to sing this morning, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary, Lord, for you. Your presence came in with us, and we thank you today that you abide, that you indwell we acknowledge that we're nothing apart from you, but oh, the joy that we can say that we are not apart from you. With you, Lord, we can speak a little word of faith and can move a mountain and blow it into the sea. With you, O oh God, we can see lives changed and transformed and a seed can be planted and a complete transformation can take place. And it's with that expectation this morning that we lift our hearts to you. Do, O oh God, what only you can do. We give you praise and we'll be careful to give you the glory in this place. And all of God's people said, Amen. I am uh, excited today for these few moments in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is a very action-packed Gospel that is an eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter having been told directly to his disciple, to John Mark. So this morning, as we jump into Mark chapter 4, we are looking at three more kingdom parables. That, as a matter of fact, is the title of this message this morning. We got a great big one last week out of Mark 4. I believe it was verses 1 through 20, something like that. And it was the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And both of those would be the correct description of it. Um, if you'll remember, he, he's teaching a great big massive crowd. Jesus is sitting in a boat. The people are on the land. Um, he is declaring to them some truths about the kingdom of God. Jesus' ministry was very centrally focused on one concept, and that was the present reality of the kingdom of God. 
He came declaring right out of the chute, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time is at hand, the kingdom is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He was saying it's within your reach. The kingdom, the lordship, the government of God is here. If you'll reach out and take hold of it, repent. Change your mind about this thing. It's not a one of these days in the sweet by and by far off distant future kind of a thing. But it's here available to you if you'll reach out in faith and take hold of it. Repent and believe the gospel. Gospel is the life-changing, history-making good news of Jesus Christ. That gives you a little bit of a review. Mark chapter 4, parable of the soils. You remember there's good soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. There are other kinds of soil, each that, have, each that has an obstacle in it. There's thorny ground where Jesus took time to share with the disciples after he'd already sort of talked to the big group. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a smaller group. It's those close to him and the 12 along with them, and they're asking questions. What, what's up with these parables? And he says to them, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Secret is the Greek word mysterion. We get our English word mystery. Some of the translations will say that the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to you graciously by God. And so he says, but I'm using parables and it's to nudge these folks who have eyes but don't see, who have ears but don't hear. And it's the recognition that it is God alone who opens the eyes of a man to give him perception, who opens the heart of a woman to give her understanding. Because you recognize that you hear with your heart. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1.17 says the eyes of your heart being enlightened. So uh, there is an ear inside your heart. We, t- we did it last week. Take the H off the beginning of heart, take the T off, and you have an ear left. The first four words of heart are here. So you hear with your heart because you have an ear inside the very center of your heart. It is the seeing, e- uh, the seeing eye and the hearing ear. The Lord has made them both, Proverbs 20, 12. So we've talked about these different kinds of ground, thorny ground, cares of the world, deceitfulness of wealth, the lust for other things, chokes out the Word of God. There's rocky soil that doesn't allow the penetration deep into the ground so that water, moisture, kind of a dissemble for the Holy Spirit that gives you endurance and perseverance when the heat of the sun of the day arises and tribulation, persecution comes for the Word's sake is what the Bible says. And because they have no root, there's no endurance. The sun comes up. They grow quickly. There's a lot of foliage. Sometimes, sometimes folks can come to Christ and and you can see immediately, man, there's a lot of drama. I mean, it's just exciting around them. But then maybe there's a quick falling away. There's not a rooting down. And let me just say this, a quick uh, little commercial about Purple Book. That's the reason it's so important to get into a group like this and get some personal discipleship. Not just to know more about the Bible, but to get to know the person of the Word, which is Jesus and it's through the written word, the, the, the logos, the written word that we are able to, to get, I, I believe, a real uh, handle on who Jesus is to us, who he is on the inside of us. Uh, we, we've also seen that there is a hard path where the soil never penetrates the ground and Satan comes and he tries to steal the word. And all of these are indicative of different kinds of people. But I believe that it also is deeper than that. I believe that in my own heart I have every one of those kinds of soil in the acreage of my life. There's a back 40 in my own life that the Holy Spirit right now is plowing. 
He's pulling, plowing, and hauling. He's dealing with stuff in my own heart, attitudes, thoughts, words, deeds, in every one of those areas to pull up the hard, uh, plow up the hard paths so that the, 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 the seed can penetrate and it can begin to produce some fruit. It's so that uh, the, 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 the plow enters the ground and penetrates the soil and pulls up the rocks and then we've got to put them in a wheelbarrow and haul them off so that the ground is not encumbered by these things that hinders we don't want any obstacles that hinder the Word of God. Somebody say amen. All right, so that's your review for, for, the first, for the big parable. And the reason that I did that is because Jesus said to his own disciples, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of them because this one is the key to the others. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the Word of the kingdom. Say that with me. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the Word of the kingdom. Okay, so now we're looking at all of these different kinds of soils, and we've just seen the big parable. Now, with that, we move into three more parables here that are still building on these same ideas. So Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, if you would just look along with me, I'll read out loud. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now here we see it again. This is the most repeated phrase that Jesus says over and over and over in his ministry. It appears in all the Gospels. It appears in the book of Revelation to every one of the seven churches of Asia. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And again, we're not just talking about flesh appendages on the side of your head, but he's talking about an open heart, not a hard heart, but a new heart that has the ability to hear the Word of God. Only God can change a man's heart. Only God can give a, wo a woman a new heart that has an open ear to hear. Because the seeing eye, the hearing ear, the Lord has made them both. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. And he finishes with this phrase. He says, For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That already sounds mysterious in itself. I mean, to take a few moments and try to break that down and unfold it, we start with a lamp. What did the psalmist say? David said in Psalm 119, verse 105, this is one of the very first memory verses you learn if you come to Purple Book. It says, Your word is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the word of God has this ability to shine on your path, on your light, to, to show and reveal. And what's going on here is that Jesus Christ is revealing the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The lamp... It's the picture of the shining ability of the Word. Now, what we're doing here is he's, he's showing that there is a purpose. Understanding purpose brings more light. Understanding the purpose of something opens up for you to be able to walk in a greater measure and a greater degree of light. More light, then there's more blessing from God. How many of you need some of that? Okay. So he says, you don't take a lamp and put it under a basket or hide it under a bed. And I think it's interesting that Jesus used those two things. Now, a lamp in these days, we're not looking at a halogen bulb. 
We're not looking at a low temperature LED light. What is a lamp in the day that Jesus is talking? What is a lamp? It's a candle. It's, it's some fire. Something is burning. Uh, some wax is melting. A wick is on fire. Or maybe it is a lamp that has, that's drawing up through a wick some oil. But something is burning. Everybody say fire. Now, obviously, if you're using fire, he's talking about the purpose of this light that fire brings. You don't put it under a basket. You don't put it under a bed. What happens if you try to put your light under a basket? What's going to happen to the basket? Basket's going to catch fire. What's going to happen if you put, light, put a light under the bed? You're going to be smoking while you're sleeping, and it's not a good kind. You're going to, you're going to burn up. And, and I think this is interesting because one of them relates to your work, the other one relates to your rest. A basket is used at harvest, and he's talking to an agricultural people. So a basket is the symbol of the fruit of all of your labors because the basket's what takes in the haul. It's what brings in the load. And so many times our light of the kingdom can be consumed in our work or in our play, in our rest. It's either under the basket or it's under the bed. And the light of the kingdom has been hidden in our lives. And some of us, it's been obscured by all of the, 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 the commitments and the deadlines and the schedules and the pressure and the stress and the frustration and the routines and all the stuff that our work pulls into us. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite Bible teachers from years and years and years past, gave me this quote 30 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He said, this generation in America worships at its work works at its play, and plays at its worship. Now, I'm going to give you that again because I think that's powerful. Chuck Swindoll said, This generation in America worships at its work, works at its play, and plays at its worship. And because we have all of our priorities mixed up and we fail to understand purpose, we're no longer walking in the light of the kingdom of God as a nation, as a family, as an individual, as a person, in my relationships, in my finances, in my own health. I have to recognize the importance of the lamp of God in my life. The candle of the Lord. The Lord is lit, is what David said. The Lord hath lit. Come on, some of you need to get lit for the gospel. The Lord has lighted our candle. The Bible says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Proverbs 20, 27. And, and when the light of God comes, it shines and it, 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 it begins to uh, bring into understanding things that you haven't seen before that have otherwise been in darkness. And so we have to understand purpose. What is the purpose of my basket and my work and how does that relate to the kingdom of God? Well, the fact is that every day of my life is holy and sacred and not just on Sunday. This is not just the holy day, the one day of the week, the rest of the week that you can just sort of live haphazardly, whatever you want to do. When, you, when the lamp of the kingdom comes into your life, everything about your life becomes centered on the kingdom of God. You make holy your everydays. Stay-at-home moms, don't ever think you don't have a purpose. You're restoring order and you're advancing the kingdom of God every time you change that dirty diaper and you bring adjustment in a gentle way to that young man or that young woman that's going to be a leader in the next generation. And you teach them how to treat with respect their property and their peers and their loved ones and how to honor their parents. You're advancing the kingdom of God, Mom. Don't ever think you're not doing something significant. When you cut the grass, when you roll up the hose, when you clean the house, when you pay the bills, you're doing kingdom work. 
Don't confuse that. Don't think that kingdom work is only what you heard Abby do or what you see me do or what a teacher in this classroom does talking about the kingdom of God to your children, about the power of the word. Yes, that is important, but that is all for a purpose. That is to inject something into you, to carry this thing, this seed, this lamp, this light. You set it up on a stand and it lights up your whole life and you take it out there into the world on a daily basis. Not just on Sunday to think about it and put it up in a shadow box and talk about it and remember and nostalgically remember some good old days and some great times when you really were closer to the Lord than you are now. Oh my goodness, help us, Jesus. I ought to be closer today than I've ever been before. And it's moments like that when His presence comes. This is why we worship. This is why we do and we encourage you. And and Jeremy said, come on, don't let a chicken joint outdo us. My goodness, if there ever was... And I forgot I even said that. That's, That's great. Let's do whatever we do, whatever we put our hand to. Do it to the glory of God and do it with passion and... And it doesn't always mean it's loud. It may mean that we quietly do it with an intention and deliberately and on purpose and with some fire and with some zeal and just showing up and putting a smile on our face even when we don't feel like it. I tell you, if there ever was a day when I went on calling for a sick day, it's today. And you know what? I've, I've been up here just kind of moving around, and I guess I've got me some, some, some Holy Ghost lubricant in these joints because I'm feeling real good right now. Hallelujah. Understanding the purpose brings light. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to a small group, the 12, along with those that are very close to him. And Jesus isn't keeping secrets. He's revealing the kingdom of God. He's uncovering some stuff. Apocalypsis, apocalypse, the revelation, the uncovering, the manifestation of who Jesus Christ is inside your heart. He's the seed. You're the dirt. There's something extremely powerful inside you. And before we jump back to the seed, remember we're talking about a light. Jesus lit a fire in your life. Where there was no light, there's fire. There, and with fire, there, there, there's, there, there's not just light, but there's warmth. And, and you can cook with it. You can heat a home and you can get something good to eat with some fire in your life. Come on, somebody. Too many places, too many churches this morning, it's so unfortunate, can build a massive, glorious, gorgeous Great stone fireplace with their great theology, but there's not a fire in the middle of it. It's empty and it's cold and it's drafty and it's dead. And then there are other groups that, man, they've got some fire. Let me tell you, I'm thankful for my Pentecostal heritage, but they could set a forest on fire over there. And and, and so what is my point? My point is in this church, we want to do what Jesus is doing. I, I want to build a great fireplace that has solid theology built on the Word of God. But the worst thing is to have a great theology and no fire in the middle of it to warm you and give you fire and to heat your life. The other extreme is to have nothing, no structure, just kind of be willy-nilly and just sort of being led by the Spirit and, and it's just fire all over the place. And that kind of fire is, can be destructive if it does not brought into the confines of the Word of God, the, the, the structured theology of a great, massive, beautiful fireplace. But you put those two together and my God, we can change the world. Awesome. Jesus is revealing the kingdom of God. He says, without ears to hear, revelation is meaningless to you. And he sort of looks like he's kind of changing his mind and sort of all over the place here. He's talking about a lamp one minute, and then he next he starts talking about a measure, how you're living your life 
with how you're operating in your trade. Measures, weights and measures are always important in the Bible because God wants people to be honest, to be just. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false weight is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. A false measure, a false weight, weights and measures in terms of how we trade. Are, are we being generous with other people? And the real bottom line of those words that He's saying right there is it's not about how much you can hoard because Jesus says to those who've not taken what I've given and multiplied it into more, what you actually have will be taken from you. But to those who have given, more will be given unto them. And it's about generosity. It's about being willing to share. It's about not looking at someone who is trapped in a bondage of sin and thinking that we are pharisaically better than or our self-righteous syndrome comes out or we look down our, our nose of holier-than-thou-ness and we don't share the secret of the kingdom of God, the very thing that has the ability to break the bondage and to bring freedom to that person's heart. We share out of a measure of generosity. The Bible says that the measure has to do with generosity, giving, not getting. And this whole parable that he's talking about here is Jesus is here to make invisible the visible kingdom of God. It's about taking what is hidden and bringing it into light. It's about taking the lamp and putting it up on a stand, not hiding it in your work, not hiding it in your leisure, in your laying down time in the bed, not in the basket, in the bed, but it's up on a stand. It has its proper place in your life. Okay? Next parable. So we're looking at three this morning. The parable of the growing seed. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. This is what I want to look at. Just read along with me. And he said, the kingdom of God is... Notice those five words. The kingdom of God is... That's critical. He, he never said the kingdom of God will be like one of these days. He didn't say was, but he says the kingdom of God is, present tense, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe and once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So get this now. We're talking about a parable of a growing seed. And there are principles here I want you to understand. A seed is a container of potentiality. A seed is a container of a potentiality. It has, it has within it encoded all of the DNA that will enable it to produce after its own kind. I mentioned it last week, but it's worthy of saying again, like the little old country preacher said, you don't plant maters and get taters. Genesis chapter 1 teaches us that every fruit, every tree, every herb... All of these that have a seed within themselves will produce after their own kind. All living things, plant kingdom, animal kingdom. Life begets life, but it comes after its own kind. Cats don't have dogs. People don't have hamsters. Okay, you produce after your own kind. The seed is ingrained. It's encoded, and in that, it's not just a bit of information, but it has all of the stuff within it that will produce 
the fruit that has the ability again in the next generation to produce more fruit that has more seed that will produce more fruit in the next generation that has more fruit, that has more seed, and it just keeps going and going and going. And that's like the kingdom of God that can begin as one tiny seed, but it multiplies. One tiny apple seed can grow a tree that can literally produce thousands upon thousands of apples that can literally produce hundreds of thousands, even millions of apple trees in the future. Every seed has the potentiality on the inside of it. Now, this is great. You're thinking, hey, you know, a little bit of a science lesson. Well, let's bump this over to a spiritual truth. The seed that God planted in you when you were born again is governed by that same principle. It is a seed container filled with potentiality, with the divine nature of God to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the image of Jesus Christ. The seed does it. You don't have to grunt. You don't have to, to, to growl. You don't have to hope real hard. The farmer lays down and gets up and he rises and he doesn't even know how it happens. But the earth all by itself produces the fruit. The earth is your life. You're dust. You're made in the image of God. Even in your brokenness, in the broken image of God, there is this container that is ready to receive the seed of the Word of God so that when it comes in, the earth all by itself will produce something. It is the environment that if you put that seed in the right place, that seed will change its complete environment and start growing something entirely new. Without the soil of the earth, the seed produces nothing. In this sense, the God who needs nothing and no one has put himself into a place of working together with you, his seed in your life, to cause your earth to produce some powerful fruit. Somebody say amen. Now, let's make this practical. Look at your notes. The culture of any organization, family, church, you could go on and name 15 other different endeavors. The culture is the environment where the seed will be planted. And a healthy culture produces a healthy harvest. We, last year, utilized a dear brother of all of ours, Greg Lackey, Jr., who came into my backyard and brought a big backhoe and took out sections of fence and dug out soil about probably a foot down, right next to the foundation of the house, and brought in probably six inches of, of, of gravel and then some sand on top of that. We were trying to create a little drain kind of a thing so that when we paved the patio, that when it rained, that we wouldn't have standing water. And we decided to raise a bed that used to be on the ground, and we used some, some paver stones, some, some uh, landscape stones that normally go around trees, and we raised it up three high and then put a seat, a big seat stone on the top of it so we could sit there. And we pulled all of that soil way down, probably a foot up out of the ground. They'd just been sitting there. And it was just the soil that had been pushed up for the house to be built. Sort of the, you know, when you go out here anywhere, you, you make sure that you've got enough soil in a place of elevation so that the water comes off the house and drains away from it. Well, it was just old builder soil. I mean, it wasn't even soil. It was just sand. Just, it wasn't even good soil to grow in anything in. And I didn't even realize that. It's been sitting there growing grass for about 16, 17 years since we've been in this house. And so 
Greg had his team out there, and so they, they start throwing it over into this area where we're going to build up a raised bed and have plants. And we went and bought some nice plants, some azaleas and some rhododendrons and some hostas and some different stuff. And a few weeks, we're not seeing any results. I mean, they're just sort of sitting there. Nothing's flowering. A few weeks turn into months, and it's like they're just sitting there. And I finally realized, this soil is not good. I should have amended the soil by putting in some fertilizer and some other ingredients into it. And so I started the process after already having all my plants planted. And I started, you know, using some of this little miracle Grow shake fertilizer around it and thinking I was going to make some change. And what I didn't realize, you know, I bought good plants. And thank goodness I bought them at Lowe's and they gave me a year guarantee that if anything died, well, you know what, I had a couple of them die and I took it back and got me a new one. And so I'm out there digging around, cultivating, and I start realizing, you know what, this stuff was just a foot down in the ground and it, it didn't have anything in it that had any kind of a nutritional value that would really grow good, healthy plants. And what I'm trying to say to you is that the environment of your home, the soil patch that you're working in, planting seeds into the lives of your children, you know what, sometimes you got some problems there. You need to weed out some bad weeds. You need to put some amendments in. Maybe there's some more grace and mercy and love. Maybe there's some more godly Direction or adjustment that needs to be brought into the environment of your family so that you can produce some healthy plants. So I started bringing in some amendments and by the fall after I had already put a couple of layers of mulch and I'd added some stuff to it, those plants really started to take off and I didn't realize it. The plants were healthy, the seed was good, but the soil needed some help. That's like our lives sometimes. It's not a seed problem. The seed of the kingdom, the word of God, Jesus is the sower. The, the, the seed is the word of the kingdom. There's not a problem with either one of those. Sometimes it's the soil of our own hearts that we have to make some adjustments in, some amendments in, add some things to. 2 Peter 1 says, to your faith, add brotherly kindness. And he goes on through a list of things, additives that we need to be putting down into the soil of our hearts. Somebody say Amen. Cultivate your environment. Latin word cultus, used in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. We are called and commanded from the, the, the commandment in the garden that God gave Adam and Eve to dress the garden and keep it, to cultivate it. We see the word agriculture. And the word cultus literally means to worship. So when he was saying cultivate, dig around this thing. He's talking about make your work a worship to God. Horticulture. You're going to grow some plants? Grow them for the sake of the kingdom of God and worship God in the middle of it. You're going to, you're going to be a farmer? You're going to do some agriculture? Praise God. Plow those rows. Agri. Cultivate it. Worship God in your work. Everything you do, do it to the glory of God. Come on, somebody. So we cultivate it. You're a fireman. Put out a fire to the glory of God. You teach. Teach to the glory of God. Sometimes you want the wrath of God to help you with some of those idiots you deal with, I'm sure. <laughs> and thank God for His mercy on our lives. And then you have to understand there's stages of maturity when things start growing. We have to expect properly. You can't expect a five-year-old to act like a 21-year-old and you sure don't expect a 21-year-old to act like a five-year-old. And sometimes you get it both ways. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. 
First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. And there are different stages of maturity. When things start to grow in our lives, a relationship starts to grow. You're excited. You're on the honeymoon stage. It's the blade, baby. It's this thing's broken through the ground. It's, it's awesome. It's exciting. And you're, you're growing together. You start to learn each other. And the plant starts to grow. And you know, the little things that used to excite you now aggravate you a little bit. And it's always amazing to me when I, when I talk to a young couple who come in and, and they're so thrilled about the relationship that they have and, Pastor, would you marry us and we're going to build our lives on the glory of God. And, and three years ago when they came in, she loved him because he was spontaneous. Now she despises him because he never plans. And he's the same old dude he ever was. But we have to grow together. Are you hearing me? Stages of growth, maturity. And as we grow, we change the soil around us because we're pulling up and drawing up out of it. Our hearts change, our lives change, our thoughts change, our actions change as we grow. They should anyway. Jesus is planting living seed that is viable. The lamp is to make the kingdom visible. The seed is to make this thing alive, viable. Everybody say viable. All right, last one. Are you getting anything out of this? Almost finished. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. The parable of the mustard seed. And he says, what or with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable, parabolos, remember? It means to cast alongside. A parable is a natural story with a spiritual truth or meaning. So he says, what parabolos, what parable shall we use for it. And this is what he starts to go into. He goes into what we call the parable of the mustard seed. He says, It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, everybody say yet. I love it when God uses the word yet. He says, Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able, what? To hear it. Okay. He did not speak to them without a parable, a natural story with a spiritual meaning, parabolos. He's casting this natural truth alongside, expecting them to think and pick up a spiritual understanding. He says he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. All right. Now, last parable and we're finished this morning. We're talking about the mustard seed. How many of you have ever seen a mustard seed before? The mustard seed that we have, that we grow, that becomes a green. <laughs> uh, my dad told me when I was a kid, I, I, I didn't like greens and I liked cabbage. And dad didn't like cabbage. And he says, just, just wait, when you're older, your taste will change. No, it won't. No, no I'm never going to eat that stuff. Guys, I'm going to tell you, my sweet daddy was right. I, and Dawn can go down to Marion Marketplace and get some of that fresh fried chicken, and, that, and, the, and the woman down there puts her foot in those greens now, I'm telling you. That's what the community says, you know, they put their foot in it. And I don't know what it is, but I, I'm, I'm loving those greens. I, I remember when I moved to North Carolina, and I was part of a ministry out there, and the pastor that, was, that mentored me first came, he's from the north, and he moved into North Carolina, and one of the soon-to-be elders asked him, said, said Pastor Varner, do you, do you like collards? And, and Kelly said, oh, I like everybody. <laughs> and he didn't really know. He didn't know there was a green. He thought that this guy was saying something kind of out of the 50s, as in different races. 
And it since then became a joke how they all made fun of, fun of Dr. Varner because he didn't know that collards were a particular kind of green. I love these greens. Turnips, collards, mustard greens, whatever. This is not what we're talking about here. Little bitty tiny mustard green seeds. But this is indigenous to the Israel area, Palestine. And it grows a large plant. A plant that is big enough, that's large enough that it sends out branches that birds can actually sit in the shade or can build a nest. So we're talking about something that becomes very similar to a small tree. We're not just talking about a little leafy green vegetable that sprouts up in about eight, eight inches and the leaves fall over. But this thing becomes substantial. But it's still the smallest seed known. And notice that Jesus is using something that is relative to his congregation or his crowd's understanding. They didn't know anything about microscopic organisms. They didn't know anything about subatomic particles. The smallest known thing to these people was an agricultural seed a mustard seed. It was the tiniest thing. And, and, and it's not necessarily that a mustard seed is holy. Jesus was just using a comparison, this metaphor, and he was saying that you can take this much of the kingdom of God, a mustard seed, and it has the ability to begin as something that is so tiny and so small, but before it's over with, it will have an overarching, outreaching, abundant effect on everything around it in its environment. That's what the kingdom of God will do. Jesus said you can take the smallest of seeds because the mustard seed was the smallest known living thing during Jesus' time. It could produce a plant large enough to house birds. And the principle that I want to bring this morning as I finish this message is the smallest things can have the largest impact. Small things matter. When you're faithful with little, Jesus said, I'll make you ruler over much. Learn to dot the I's and cross the T's. Learn to take care and be honest in those private moments. Learn to say and do and honor those that aren't with you. Learn to make sure that you take care of those little things because when you take care of little things, the Bible says that God says if you're faithful in little, then you will also be faithful in much and be given the opportunity to be faithful over much because God is watching. When nobody else is, God is watching. He's watching and paying attention to see what our intentions are and what our thoughts are and whether we're following through with the little commitments and whether we're being considerate of others. But it's more than just that. We're, just not, we're, gonna, we're not going to reduce this to a moral lesson. But it's the importance of the fact that the kingdom of God, though begins in a quiet, little, small moment in your life, God intends to bring it to an earth-shaking history-making, life-changing moment in your life where it affects everything in your life around you. Where everything you touch, not just the, the mythological King Midas, everything he touched became gold, but everything you touch advances the kingdom of God. It has the blessing of the Lord on it. You're like a tree planted by water whose leaves do not wither and you bear fruit in season and whatever you touch, the Bible says prospers and God blesses it because your lamp is on a stand. It's not swallowed up under your basket of work or under your bed of leisure. The soil is being amended and you're, you're letting the Spirit of God get in and till and pull the weeds and plow the, the rocks and haul them off so that you have some good soil to grow the seed of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says don't despise the little things. Don't despise the small things. And I just want to say this to you right now. Some of you that are, have some dreams and visions, it can begin as a tiny little nugget 
And if you'll let it lodge into the soil of your heart, God has a way of growing it up into a great big mature plant that can bless other people. Whether it's a great marriage and raising good children that become champions for the kingdom, whether it's starting a business that the blessing of the Lord is upon it, that you eventually become an employer for other people where families are blessed because of your dream. Come on, somebody. Are there any dreams in the room this morning? Don't let the enemy who is the original abortionist come and rob the seed from your life. Take away the, 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 the birds try to come and eat up the seed out of your life. Persecution comes because of the word's sake. Let the seed penetrate the soil of your soul. God promises that it's going to have an amazing effect. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Let's put our hands together and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. The smallest things can have the largest of impact. Jesus is using a tiny seed and showing that something very small is very, very, very valuable. And so this morning, we begin with this place, an opportunity, as we always do every week. Lights are low. You've heard the message. You've heard the word. I'd like you to bow your hearts with me, please, in this moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed.